Well, it's possibly the most well-known story in the Bible. It's a story that's hailed by Christians and skeptics alike. Christians uh, love the story of Jonah for its uh, exciting storyline and its rich theological truths. And skeptics love the story of Jonah for its example of the supposed absurdity of Scripture. I mean, who ever heard of a man being swallowed and living in the belly of a whale for three days? But personally, I love the book of Jonah. Everything in the book of Jonah is exciting. And everything is big in the book of Jonah. By the way, you like our new stage design, God's Great Big Love? Our worship team did an awesome job putting that together. Yeah. <laughs> but everything is big in the book of Jonah. We, we have a big storm, uh, a big fish, a big city. And, and more than anything, we see God's great big love on display all throughout the book of Jonah. We're going to see this theme of God's great big love play out over the next four weeks as we look at the book of Jonah. We're going to see God's great big love in pursuit of, of rebellious people. We're going to see God's great big love in deliverance, in forgiveness, in compassion. But, but God's great big love is really the theme that runs throughout the whole story of Jonah. Now, the book of Jonah begins with a prophet by the name of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet around 750 B.C., 750 years before Christ, up in northern Israel, in the region of Galilee. This was basically the same area where much of the New Testament takes place, where Jesus' ministry was. That's where Jonah was from. And, and, and what makes Jonah unique among all of the prophets in the Bible is that the ministry of Jonah and, and what Jonah was most famous for was birthed in rebellion, Jonah's ministry was birthed in rebellion. You remember that old James Dean movie, Rebel Without a Cause? Well, Jonah was the rebel prophet fleeing from his cause. And because of this, Jonah's often been referred to as the prodigal prophet. Jonah really was the prodigal son before Jesus made the story cool. And uh, we're going to see Jonah's rebellion this morning as he tries to flee from God's will for his life. But more important than, than even the story of Jonah being swallowed by the big fish, which we're going to look at next week, I, I think it's this rebellious spirit in Jonah that makes his story so compelling and, and that draws people to this story down through the ages. Be, because every single one of us here, all of us, can relate to the reality of rebelling against God. You know, re rebellion against God, it's the one thing that every human in the world has in common. It's the one thing that unites all people in our, in our common humanity is, is our rebellion against God. We are, by nature's rebels. The Apostle Paul in Romans 3.23 tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and what is sin? Friends, sin is nothing more than, than rebellion. Sin is choosing to do life your way instead of doing life God's way. And, and us as rebels, sinful by nature, we often make those conscious choices to do life on our terms, right? We want to be the boss. We want to be in control. We want to sit on the throne of our lives. And, and so we often relegate God to a, a lesser influence or a lesser role, and we go about life seeking to live it in our, our own way. And this sin, this rebellion, ends up causing a rift between us and God. And that's the bad news that we're facing today. We're sinners by nature. We're rebellious against God. We have this rift that separates us from him. But the good news this morning is this. 
The good news that we find in the book of Jonah, the, the good news that we find in our, our human story uh, is that while, while our human story is all about rebellion, understand this, friends, God's story is ultimately about his great big love. God's story is all about his great big love, a love that pursues us no matter the cost for the sake of reconciliation and an opportunity to know real life, a life lived to the full. That's God's goal for each of us. Now, now this morning, we're going to look at God's great big love as it's revealed here in the book of Jonah. And as we begin our series this morning, uh, we're specifically going to see God's great big love in pursuit of rebellious sinners. God, his love is seen in his pursuit of rebellious sinners. This is the theme of Jonah chapter 1. And so this morning, I'd like for us to read this uh, section of the scriptures together, and then I want to come back and I want to highlight some, some principles that we find here in this first chapter of the book of Jonah. You can follow along on the screens behind me, or you can use your Bibles. We're in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. Wow, what a story. Now, while there's a lot we could unpack in this opening chapter of Jonah, what I really want to highlight for us today are three key principles Three key principles that God reveals to us rebels here in chapter 1. I, I call them Jonah's wisdom for rebels. 
Jonah's wisdom for rebels. And the first principle that we find here in our passage this morning, the first principle for us rebellious people is that when you respond to God with a but, you're asking for a bruising. When you respond to God with a but, you're asking for a bruising. The story of Jonah starts out with God sending a word to the prophet Jonah that he is to head to Nineveh and to minister to share God's word, to to declare evil and call the people of Nineveh to repentance. However, in verse 3, we see a great big but right at the outset of Jonah's story. Verse 3 tells us, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. We're going to find out later in the story why Jonah ran from his call to go to Nineveh. As we saw in the drama this morning, Jonah recognized the possibility that the Ninevites might repent and might actually escape God's judgment. And he didn't want that. The the, the Ninevites, the Assyrian Empire, they were the most wicked people in the world at that time. They, They were like the ISIS of Jonah's day. And they were known for terror and atrocities against the people that they conquered. And Jonah didn't want to see them repent. He didn't want to see God's grace lavished out on the Ninevites. He wanted them to face judgment. And so Jonah decided he was going to flee his commission to go to Nineveh and instead go as far as he possibly could. Just to give us some context of this story, I want to show you this map here that uh, highlights for us some of the, the, the direction, the distance that we read about here in Jonah's story. God had called Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was about 550 miles away in the empire of Assyria. But Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, he went down to Joppa and he bought a ticket on a ship headed for Tarshish, which was on the far western coast of Spain, which at the time was the furthest outpost in the known world. In other words, friends, Tarshish was as far as humanly possible from God's will for Jonah's life. God said, go. Jonah said, but. And friends, how often do we also answer God with a but? And we try to run as far away as we can from his will for our lives. Just this past week, I discovered a young lady that I've been friends with for many years. I've We've been following each other on Twitter, and I discovered just this past week she had blocked me on her Twitter account. And this is a young lady who, who grew up in the church, grew up walking with the Lord, but in recent years she's been rebelling against her Christian faith and her background. She, she's run away from home. She moved down to the city. She changed her phone number. She, she's uh, broken ties with her family and all of her Christian friends, and, and she's been living a lifestyle in opposition to God's will. And just this week now, she's blocked me from her Twitter account. And again, it's like she's doing everything she possibly can to eliminate God's influence in her life. What's she up to, friends? She's headed for Tarshish. She's on the run, the run from God. And every one of us here can succumb to this temptation to run to Tarshish. We all wrestle with saying but to God. And why do we do this? It's because we're rebels by nature. Our natural inclination is to rebel against God and his will for our lives. 
We, we do this in our personal lives, in our relationships, in our calling as followers of Christ. For, for example, God says, look, if you look at a woman with lust, it's the same as committing adultery in your heart. And we say, but God, it, it's just a quick little website visit. And God says to us, honor your spouse and serve and forgive one another. But God, you don't realize what a jerk he's been to me lately. And God says, go out and and reach out to that lost neighbor of yours. And we say, but God, they might think I'm weird or something. See, every time we say but to God, we're headed for Tarshish. And as Jonah's story so dramatically reveals, the voyage to Tarshish is no luxury cruise. As I said earlier, when you respond to God with a but, you're asking for a bruising. How so? Well, let me highlight for you this morning three truths about the nature of rebellion against God. These truths come right out of the the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Truth number one that we see in in Jonah's rebellion, the the truth about our rebellion against God is that, number one, the path of rebellion always leads in one direction. It leads down. It leads down. Friends, did you notice in our passage this morning that every move in Jonah's journey was on a downward trajectory? He went down to Joppa. He went down to the bottom of the ship. He went ultimately down into the depths of the sea. See, understand this. That's why saying but to God is so dangerous. Rebellion only leads in one direction, down. And friends, if you're going down, what direction are you not going? You're not going up. You see, you need to understand this morning, there is no such thing as neutral territory when it comes to our relationship with God. You're either going his way or you're going down. You're going your way. But there's no such thing as just a a neutral standing with God. And so if you're living in rebellion against God, if you're trying to do life your way and ignoring his way, friends, that's a very dangerous place to be. The second truth we see about our rebellion here in Jonah's story is that sin always makes you pay the fare. Sin always makes you pay the fare. I stole this line from Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a famous theologian in the 20th century. He used to preach a great sermon on the book of Jonah, and his theme was sin always makes you pay the fare. In other words, Jonah bought the ticket. He wound up in a destination he didn't want to be, and friends... He didn't even get a refund. That's the way sin works. See, the enemy, he comes and he tries to convince us that one little but isn't going to be that big of a deal. And and, and the enemy says, you know, I know God told you to do this, but what if you just, you know, just just go this way. Try this a little bit. And, And we take one step away from God's will for our lives. And the enemy tries to convince us that that's not a very big deal. One little but, it's not going to hurt anything because look, I mean, here's God's will and you're just taking one little but over here. But the problem is one little but makes the next little but that much easier. And the next but that much easier. And pretty soon you look back and you don't even remember where God originally called you to be. You wind up in a destination where you don't want to be. Things start falling apart all around you. 
and it costs you dearly. Sin always makes you pay the fare, friend, and there's no refunds. Thirdly, we see that your butt always has consequences for others. Your butt always has consequences. Friends, notice in our story this morning, Jonah's rebellion didn't just cost him. It ended ended up throwing others into the storm with him. Those sailors on the ship, they didn't ask for that storm. They didn't do anything. It was Jonah that brought that storm upon them. And yet now this whole ship full of sailors gets caught up in this tumultuous storm that Jonah's rebellion brought about. So you understand this this morning, friends. Rarely will the consequences of your sin be experienced in isolation. You need to understand that. Rarely will the consequences of your sin be experienced in isolation. So if you're not concerned about the butt in your life for your sake, what about the people around you? What about the people who love you or the people that you love? What's your butt going to cost them? The, the, the Christian community was shocked this summer when revelations came out that Pastor Bill Hybels of Willow Creek had been engaged in personal misconduct and, and numerous inappropriate sexual relationships and advances with women in, in his church. If you're not familiar with Bill Hybels, he was probably the, the leading pastoral figure in evangelicalism over the last 30 years. Bill Hybels and Willow Creek influenced virtually every evangelical church in America through their leadership summits, through their books, their resources, their training materials. Huge influence. It's almost impossible to overstate how significant Bill Hybels' ministry was over the last 30 years. But over the summer, over 30 women came forward from within his church, many of them former staff members, talking about inappropriate advances inappropriate jokes, inappropriate touching. One woman even described a sexual affair that she engaged in with Bill Hybels after being pressured. And as a result of these allegations, Bill Hybels stepped down from his ministry. His pastoral team has now all stepped down. And even as recently as a couple of weeks ago, the entire elder board of Willow Creek Church resigned their positions for being complicit and not responding quick enough to these allegations against Pastor Hybels. The whole church is reeling today. This church that has been used by God powerfully over 30 years today is broken and devastated because of the actions of one man. People say, how could this happen? It all started with Hybels saying, but to God. But God, it's just a little office flirtation. It's no big deal. Your butt always has consequences for others. Saying but to God is a very dangerous thing. Let me ask you this morning, friends, is there some area in your life where you're saying but to God today? If you are, you are flirting with disaster. You are flirting with disaster. Sin always makes you pay the fare. There are no exceptions. And so if that's where you're at today, maybe, maybe this message this morning is God's way of saying to you, It's time to stop saying but, and it's time to start saying yes and walking in obedience. The second principle we see in our passage this morning from Jonah chapter 1 is that sometimes God sends a storm 
to bring us to our senses. Sometimes God sends a storm to bring us to our senses. Before we talk about the storm, I I want you to understand something remarkable this morning about the grace of God. This, This is just absolutely beautiful. Understand this, friends. When we're lost in rebellion, God doesn't see us where we are. He sees us where we could be. When God looked at Jonah sleeping away in the bottom of that ship, sailing off for Tarshish, God didn't see a prodigal. He saw a prophet boldly standing at the gates of Nineveh, calling them to repentance. God doesn't see us where we are. He sees us where we could be. And so when God looks at us, lost in our rebellion against him, understand this, friends, God doesn't see an alcoholic. He sees a father celebrating 10 years of sobriety. And God doesn't see a porn addict. He sees a young man honoring the purity of his future marriage. And God doesn't see a habitual gossiper. He sees a woman leading a Bible study on taming the tongue. God doesn't see us where we are. He sees us where we could be. See, that's what grace looks like. And that's God's great big love. And sometimes, sometimes God's grace is exercised through the storms of our lives. In verse 4 in our passage, we read, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose. In the original Hebrew, this literally reads, God hurled a storm. God hurled a storm. Friends, that storm that Jonah got caught up in was no accident. It was no coincidence. God, in his grace, hurled that storm at Jonah to bring Jonah to repentance. You see, God knew and God knows that in our lives, that sometimes to get us from below deck to above board, we sometimes need to experience the storms. And just like he did with Jonah, God will occasionally send a storm into our lives as his means of waking us and shaking us and prompting us into repentant action. Look at what Proverbs tells us about this. Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, a son, he delights in. Parents here this morning, why do we discipline our kids? Do we do it because we delight in it? We take joy in, in making them feel bad? No, we discipline our kids because we love them. And we want to set them on a path that leads to life and life to the full. And in the same way, sometimes God sends the storms into our lives as his form of discipline, as his form of correction to get us to repent, to get us back on track. I have a close friend, just a few years ago, he was struggling with alcohol. He struggled for, with alcohol for his whole life. Alcohol was his idol. And God brought him into a whopper of a storm. He lost his job. His wife separated from him. He couldn't see his kids. He ended up in a rehab facility. I mean, man, that storm was raging all around him. But you know something? It was what he needed at that point in his life. God hurled a storm at him to get his attention and to get his life back on track. That's what God does. 
Look what the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. In our passage this morning, God used the storm in Jonah's life to wake him up and put him back on the path to faithfulness. You see, sometimes when you're headed down, God will let you nearly drown in order to bring you to your senses. Sometimes that's what it takes. And so, friends, if you're facing a storm in your life today, maybe you need to stop and consider if that storm might really be God's gracious discipline in your life. Maybe God's using that storm to get your attention. Maybe your storm, like it was for Jonah, is your opportunity to honestly acknowledge your rebellion against God and to once again embrace his will for your life. Friends, God's great big love will pursue you any way he needs to. And sometimes he pursues us in a storm. But God's great big love is also there to embrace you when you're ready to turn and come back to him. Let me just make a quick side note on this point. We see in the story of Jonah that sometimes our storms are as much for others as they are for us. What happened to those sailors on the ship when Jonah acknowledged his rebellion and the storm was calmed. The Bible tells us that those sailors all put their trust in Yahweh and they made vows to Yahweh. They went from pagans to followers of the one true God because of the storm that God sent into Jonah's life. But understand this, friends. The sailors wouldn't have experienced that miracle in their lives if Jonah hadn't first embraced God's discipline in his. Jonah humbled himself before God. And that made all the difference, not only in his life, but in the lives of those around him. You see, how you respond to God's discipline is not just about your relationship with God, but it might be the difference maker in the relationships of others in your life with God. We can't neglect that reality. Lastly, this morning, principle number three, God always answers humility with a humpback. God always answers humility with a humpback. The storm and the plight of the innocent sailors finally pricked Jonah's conscience, and his rebellious spirit was broken. And so Jonah offered himself as a sacrifice in an attempt to quell the violent storm raging around him. And so the sailors, they threw Jonah overboard into the sea, And there's Jonah flailing, struggling, trying to keep his head above water. But as our passage reveals, God always answers humility with a humpback. Friends, this isn't just a cute little saying. This is biblical truth. Look at what the Apostle Peter tells us about this point in 1 Peter 5. Peter says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. See, Jonah ultimately embraced the storm with humility and God lifted him up. 
In his case, he was lifted out of the depths of the sea and into the belly of a great fish. Now, we're going to talk more about that fish next week. So if you're curious about the fish, come back and join us next Sunday. But the point for us today is this. God's great big love was there to rescue Jonah in his humility. And I'll tell you something, friends. It's absolutely true. God always answers humility with a humpback. In other words, when a rebellious sinner turns to God in repentance, they will always experience his miraculous grace in their life. That's true for every single one of us. For Jonah, that miraculous grace came in the form of a life-saving great big fish. For you, God's miraculous grace will probably take a different form. But I'll tell you something, if you'll humble, humble yourself before God, you will experience God's miraculous grace because God is a God of great big love. When I was 22 years old, I experienced probably the darkest time of my life, spiritually speaking. I was a second-year seminary student, and in the summer right before my second year in seminary, the, the girl that I had been dating, she dumped me. She started going out with another guy, and, and I was just totally devastated. I was brokenhearted, and I was angry at God, and, and I didn't want anything to do with God anymore. And so I dropped out of seminary. I quit my job working at Bethel University in their campus ministries office, and I headed for Tarshish. I moved out to Santa Barbara, California and lived in a beach house with three buddies and I spent the next three months just wasting my life. Laying on the beach during the day, partying at night. It was a very dark time. There was nothing good about it. And, and I was lonely, I was depressed, I was angry, I was sad, all of the above. And God used that period in my life, he used that storm in my life to finally bring me to my knees. And after running from God for three months, dropping out of seminary, dropping out of the ministry, I was so depressed. Like I didn't even have a point to live anymore. And I remember just falling on my knees one evening and just praying. I said, God, I am so mad at you. And I hate the direction my life is going right now. But I don't have anywhere to turn right now. And I humbled myself before the Lord, and I just said, God, help me get back on track. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I've burned every bridge. I don't have any connections back at Bethel anymore. I dropped out of seminary. I don't know if they're going to let me back in. But I moved back home, and I just continued to pray and trust. And I started taking steps to get my life back on track. I started getting back into church. And, and for me, when I humbled myself before the Lord, my humpback came in the form of a phone call one Sunday afternoon in January following a Vikings game. As soon as the game ended, literally two minutes later, a phone call came through for me, and on the other end of the line was a woman I'd never met from a church I had never heard of asking if I would be interested in coming to serve as their youth pastor. And God used that phone call to initiate a series of events in my life that literally brought me back from the brink, turned my life around, put me on a new path, started a whole new trajectory that led me to where I am here today. And it all started when I humbled myself before God and acknowledged my rebellion. And God answered by providing a humpback 
First Peter 5, 6 tells us, humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. God will lift you up, friend. No matter where you are, no matter how far you've sailed away from his will, whether you're in Tarshish or just halfway there right now, if you'll humble yourself before God, he will lift you up. So I ask you this morning, are you running from God? Are you headed for Tarshish today? Maybe you're facing the storm of God's discipline in your life. Humble yourself before him. He's got a great big love. He's waiting to embrace you. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the story of Jonah that you've given us in your word. It's a story that all of us can relate to. Every single one of us here knows what it is to live our lives in rebellion against your will for us. We all know what it is to to hear your voice leading and guiding and then responding with a but and choosing to do life our way. Some of us have experienced the the storm of, of your pursuing love. There might be men or women in here this morning that are experiencing that storm right now. And I just pray, God, Any of us here this morning who are fleeing from you in rebellion, trying to get as far away from your will as possible today, I just pray, God, that you will use whatever means necessary. The storms in our lives, maybe this message this morning, maybe a word from a brother or sister in Christ, but whatever necessary, God, I pray that you would bring us to our knees in humble repentance so that we might experience the truth of your great big love. We thank you that you are a God of grace who doesn't see us where we are, but sees us where we could be. And Lord, if there's anybody here who needs to call out to you, I pray that they would do that right now. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who's never even put their trust in you. Maybe they've come just searching for answers, looking for hope. Maybe today's the day that they start a new journey as a follower of Jesus. And if that's you this morning, I just encourage you to just pray in your heart right now. Jesus, I need you. I'm humbling myself before you, and I need you to lift me up, and I want to start walking your path this morning. And God will start a new course in your life. He'll turn you around. He'll make you a child of God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. We pray all this in your name. Amen. If you'd like prayer this morning, our elders and Stephen ministers will be here at the front of the sanctuary. I want to leave you with these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And now may the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you as faithful, and he will do it. Amen.